you, 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 you are about to experience Vegas bad boys of podcasting. Fortunately, you are about to hear lots of opinions, but uh, rarely any facts. Impersonations might occur, but uh, good luck trying to figure them out. This program is not intended for kids or the easily offended. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. You press play. It's too late to stop. Get ready to podcast. Welcome to another edition of Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting. I am DJ Impact. And I got the Vegas bad boys here with me. And it's good to see you fellas here. We have another great show for you today as this is our three count. Three good topics we just pulled out online. And we're going to sit and discuss and um, let you know uh, what we think about that. Before we get started, we want to remind you we are having a cool little promotion going on. where We're giving away two tickets to SummerSlam at Allegiant Stadium August 21st it's a 4 30 p.m show we're going to give those tickets the only thing that you have to do is make sure you listen to wrestling talk uh yesterday's wrestling talk if you're listening to the podcast uh of course you're listening to three count right now um make sure you get the unique words from those two podcasts and then next week there's going to be another wrestling talk in the three count you want to get those uh unique words and then go to vegasbadboy.com Put those unique words in, and you will be put uh, added into a uh, raffle, which we would do live the following week, and someone will win those two tickets, all right? Even if you're already going to the show, um, you may know someone that don't. Uh, win, it for, win it for them, or get them, more importantly, to listen to the show, and uh, let everybody you know about it, all right? Uh, the show, it's, it's practically almost impossible to get really good seats now. Unless you're going to pay out the yin yang. So it's pretty cool to have uh, two good seats here uh, free just for listening to our podcast. And we appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Let's get right into our three count. It's time. Vegas bad boys of podcasting present. One, two, three. Count talk. Count talk, baby. Our first one comes from, and this was going to be kind of a uh, a two-part uh, sort of a question. So the first one comes from WrestlingNews.co, and it's titled Backstage, Backstage News on Vince McMahon Reaction to Daniel Bryan and CM Punk Signing with AEW. Now, of course, as we know, there hasn't been anything official that came out, but, you know, let's see apparently what was said. Uh, according to a guy who has a podcast named Andrew Zarian, he said that there are people in WWE management that are upset that they lost lost Brian. Management is said not to be too upset about not signing Punk. Zarian said that there's a lot of rumors that Vince is very upset and management is very angry. How could they let these two go? I think Daniel Bryan is the disappointment for them. CM Punk, not so much. There's no buzz that I'm hearing uh, coming from the office side that we effed up by not signing him. There's a lot of people that think his stock is not what it normally would be. They think his UFC losses hurt him. And a lot of people work with him when he was very unhappy. And I think that's the memory that they have. I'm saying from management, I'm not the talent. I think the talent knows what a big deal this is is uh, he also mentions Arian that that uh, WWE TV's partners is not happy about punk signing with AEW and a certain network is not very happy about the CM Punk stuff WWE they're not very concerned about CM Punk they know it's a big get for AEW but they're not negotiating to bring him and however I would say that Daniel Bryan is a big hit for them so again that was from wrestlingnews.co also, to tie it in, BleacherReport.com, they had a title that said, Vince McMahon says AEW isn't anywhere near close to the competition WCW was to WWE. Now, according to WrestlingInc.com, Mark Middleton, 
He said that McMahon's response during the second quarter earning calls this past Thursday was, quote, well, it certainly is not a situation where rising tides, because that was when WC owner Ted Turner was coming after us with all the time runner assets as well. That was a different situation. AEW is where they are. I don't really know what their plans are. All I know is what our plans are. And I don't consider them competition in the way that I would consider WCW back in the day. Not anywhere near close to that. Also, there was a quote coming from uh, Nick, Nick Khan uh, and during that same call. And it said, I think the way we always look at these situations, you know, it's sort of like a horse race where the horse has blinders on. We're looking straight ahead at our lane and making sure that we stay in front of the pack. At the same time, everything in our everything is our competition. Someone had a line a couple of weeks ago that we chuckled at and agreed with. Sleep is our competition, right? If it was up to us, people could be up 24 hours a day watching content from different content providers, hopefully including ours. So we don't look at any organization, particularly as competition, yet we see everything as competitive and what we're trying to do in terms of eyeballs. Now, just to sum up right here, it did talk about the recent rumors, which I just went over about CM Punk and Dan Bryan. Uh, it also mentioned that uh, that the punk signing would especially be a big needle mover since he hasn't wrestled in more than seven years after leaving WWE. Um, it also talks that both of them perhaps improve viewership even more, uh, but uh, could improve that uh, even more. But given that WWE has billions of uh, dollars, television deals with Fox and NBC and Universal, it is understandable why McMahon and and company don't seem particularly worried about AEW. So we'll stop it right about there. I'm going to go over to you. I like starting with you, Sin City, on this. Two different stories you hear. Um, you know, you, you hear from one that the rumors after the so-called signing, the, the organization is, is upset. Well, at least upset that they got Daniel, not supposedly too much about the idea of CM Punk. Uh, on the other report, we're also hearing that during a call that they don't seem to be really worried about anything uh, in terms of what AEW is doing. But, you know, like it was mentioned in this article, that there are these two names that could uh, eventually uh, could play a role. What's your take in this particular article that uh, both of them that you were um, you were reading? So I think the thing that we really need to keep in mind throughout this entire thing is that we've talked about this ad nauseum on this show to a point where it's, it feels like I'm saying the same thing every single week. And that is that AEW was not designed to be competition to WWE. The only people that are seemingly turning this into a competition are the fans and the people that are wanting this to be a competition. Realistically, as of right now, until you start to see AEW viewership increase and overtake Monday Night Raw, it's all a moot point. It doesn't matter. Now, I will mention, just to play devil's advocate for that, typically, WWE does have a slowdown post-SummerSlam in their viewership every year. So is, is uh, you know, the internet adding fuel to the fire with this and, you know, creating a situation out of nothing? Yes, I'm quite sure that that's exactly what they're doing. But at the end of the day, I can see why people are making those speculative things and speculative talks because, you know, past history of numbers and things of that nature if you've got a program that right now is doing 1.8 million viewers and now AEW is doing 1.1 million, if you get CM Punk, Daniel Bryan in there, and then you get the, the FOMO or the fear of missing out from your standard wrestling fan or lapsed viewer, then who knows? Maybe those two guys could turn AEW Dynamite into a 1.5 million show. But again, until they are neck and neck with Raw or until they've overtaken Raw, they cannot be looked at as competition for WWE, no matter how much we, the AEW fans, want it to be that way. Okay. I got that. 
Uh, I'm gonna go over to Matt Michaels first. I, I, I just noticed I forgot to mention about a, a couple of tweets that was uh, made between uh, De- uh, Dave Meltzer and uh, um, I guess a person that just subscribes to him. But I, I'll jump into that in a second. Let me jump to ask you a question on Matt Michaels. So you hear since City Steve, you know, say, "Look, man, we we've talked about it many of times. They are not competition." But is there a possibility that the shareholders who don't know who was on this phone call was apparently Vince had to talk about, he had to mention it. So someone had to say, what is going on about this AEW? What am I hearing about these two big names coming over? What do I hear about this viewership of their numbers growing somewhat? Should we have a concern about what's happening? We're shareholders here. Should there not be any concern about this or should there be? Are there shareholders? Nobody fucking knows. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's the general fucking public. So it's anyone, the WWE universe. Yeah, so anyone can be on these phone calls. So yeah, it's going to get asked because it's a fucking wrestling fan, probably an AEW mark who has stock in WWE, who's you know asking about that. You know. Um, so it's it's not like fucking, you know, there's suits in a boardroom going, well, how about this, Vince? Um, number two, Vince is um, Vince is losing some of his capacities. Uh, apparently on these phone calls as of late, um, he's been very uh, not not as vocal, not as loud, very soft spoken. Um, you know, this, this is a real situation in which um Vince is is not going to be um, much more active in the process for many more years. This is the start of of seeing that. Um, It's not competition, um, especially it's not direct competition. They're not on the same night. So if they pull in X on Wednesday, you got to remember, then you have uh, Raw on a Monday night. So football season is about to start. Ratings are going to be way down. Um, the Olympics right now are probably cutting into their uh, their ratings as well. So it, it, you know, it, it, the um, the numbers are essentially they're more important right now to AEW because AEW is still a young company, and you want to be able to have a contract signed beyond you know your initial contract. Um, as far as the signings of Punk and Daniel Bryan, what's very interesting is that they're claiming that, you know, uh, it looks like Fox is, you know, putting a press on them. Why didn't they sign Punk? Um, two things. One, uh, if that's true, Fox should have kept the backstage program because they would have been able to, you know, finagle him into the contract talks. Um, and B, honestly, Fox executives don't know who the fuck CM Punk is. They're not the ones fucking punched. This is bullshit. This is bullshit again, you know. They being told by someone that my sources say. Well, my sources say that whoever wrote this article is a fucking moron. So <laughs> I trust my sources. All right. Well, that leaves up to you, Simon Street. Um, you know, you you hear, uh, you read both of these uh, articles here, uh, showing one that the the management is as wasn't happy about the news, and on the other hand, um, you hear the call that took place and saying, hey, there there isn't any um, worry, nothing to worry about here. Uh, what's your take? Do you is there something to worry about here? Is there nothing to worry about here? I mean, what what is it? I mean, somebody hears something happening in the background and on the other hand you hear someone saying on a phone call that there really isn't no nothing to worry about what's your take well very much in the same type of climate of when you have small children wondering about who's going to pay the bills it's the same concern that i'm sure this actually has with regards to wwe no one's having a real big concern about it as sin city steve said earlier uh we already know the reality AEW is not competition for WWE, nor will it be until they meet a certain benchmark. 
But what is interesting that I thought about when reading these articles is if, if Vince McMahon was not happy, it would be more from the standpoint of a businessman to where it's like, okay, if there's $10 on the table and you got four sets of hands, if he has an opportunity to be able to grab that money on the table, he'll grab that money on the table if he can. But even then, we know Vince McMahon don't give two shits about it because he's like, what the fuck is $10? And, and that's nothing against Daniel Bryan, and that's nothing against uh, CM Punk. It just clearly shows that wrestling fans <laughs> love to just create shit. And apparently wrestling fans uh, you know, write articles. In fact, we need to be writing some articles, apparently, because, I mean... I don't know where he pulled that out of his ass or did he pull that out of somebody else's ass that he shares likeness with? I'm with Michaels. It's fucking ridiculous. But it's worth begging the question. Um, if Daniel Bryan or CM Punk does go to AEW, we already know it'll be beneficial for AEW. Let's just be honest. It, it'll get the pop. What they choose to do with those two after that point is going to be the proof in the pudding. Well, they better they better have Punk locked up because if Punk does not show up in Chicago, oh and, yeah, and everyone's anticipating it, them Chicago fans do not do not fucking play. Well, and AEW will lose half their fucking viewership. So, so it's it's a, it's a, it's a signed and done deal. So okay. it has to be. If it's not, they're fucking stupid. But even so, I mean, they can get them, and then they, you know. Do they give him everything? Or do they just, you know, put him in line, rotate him, take him out? What's the deal? Long-term, short deal? I mean, that's, that's the only thing I bring up. Who knows? Who knows? And and honestly, we'll see him go against Cody Rhodes. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and shout-out to Chris, who said that the Fox executives probably thought he was CP Monk. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> um, Wait, you guys, you guys didn't sign the chipmunks. Um. <laughs> uh, so uh, it was just the, the whole funny tweet thing. I think I threw in there about Dave Meltzer. Did you guys just think that that was just um just pretty funny? This is just for any for any guys to respond. Dave Meltzer, he had wrote. There was a question about AEW and competition, and Vince said he doesn't see them as competition as compared to what WCW was. Kind of blew them off and said everything is competition, but they're looking at their own lane and not anyone else. And then a person commented or retweeted back to uh, Dave and said, well, people are trying to spin this into a dig at AEW, but honestly, Vince just doesn't give a fuck about anything else really, and we've known that for years. And then Dave followed back with a tweet that says, if you believe that, you don't know the first thing about Vince. I'll tell you what, shut the fuck up. That's all I'm going to say. Let's move on. And that's for Dave. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I'm assuming you guys concur, Matt and Steve? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, well, whatever. All right. Let's move over to us. Okay. Really quick though, the one thing though is that honestly though, what Dave is trying to say is that if Vince needs to, Vince will pull out his fucking knives and start. Oh yeah, daggers. But but oh, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. That's if he wants the ten dollars on the table. He don't give a fuck about no ten dollars on the table. Y'all can have that shit. At least yeah. not right now. Yeah, yeah. Right if, it now. Was, if it was a fifty on the table, no, we're talking. Look, but you know what? In the same breath, like you said, it'd be a fucking nickel on the table. Vince McMahon just to be out of spite and like, fuck y'all, take the whole nickel and make the rest of everybody feel like shit. So. <laughs> All right, let's go to our second count. It's from the sportster.com. It is question, is extreme violence making a comeback in mainstream pro wrestling? Um. And it just kicks off saying extreme violence have stamped out of the mainstream pro wrestling by WWE for years, but AEW, Impact, and more seems to be bringing it back. Now, they go through uh, quite a bit of shows just mentioning just, you know, this past month or two of 
all of the different matches they had, including this past week with uh, with uh, Nick Gage. So let me just go right here to how he uh, comes down to conclude. And he asked, is too much violence a risk? Having too much violence in a show or in a promotion could put companies in a dangerous situation for the future. Some fans may come to expect blood in every show and feel cheated when it's not delivered. For others, the violence may be too much. It could turn some viewers away, although that doesn't seem to be the case so far. But more importantly, extreme spots put workers at greater risk. At last year's AEW All-Out Pay-Per-View, Matt Hardy took a very uh, scary bump when his back up against hit uh, head hit the concrete in the match against Sammy Guevara. Although it was clear that Hardy's eyes were glazed following the spot, the wrestlers opted to finish the match, and thankfully Hardy ended up being okay. But the decision was met with overwhelmingly amount of criticism. And the moment was so scary for fans that Hardy had to address it on a promo later on the episode in Dynamite. Uh, but it says that fans still seem to be enjoying this resurgence of extreme matches, though. And AEW Dynamite has been number one show on cable the past two Wednesday nights. Omega's brutal match with Callan. Uh, yes. Well, this probably is. It's just, it's just Omega's referring the, the bloodletting, Steve. Yes. Omega's uh, uh, brutal match with Callahan provided a great buy number for Impact. And Nick uh, Cage's match against Matt Cardona was a buzz all weekend. So, and by the way, DJ, yeah. you just read it as as printed. This guy wrote this article, and he didn't even type Gage right. He called him Nick Cage. So, right, yeah, good journalism. Johnny yeah. Cage's uh, younger brother. <sighs> yeah, well, you know that's what happens when you're up all night uh, using a typewriter to uh, get that report in. You know, so. <laughs> hey, man, pay, pay per word. It's evidently how the sportster pays their writers. All right. Let me go over to you, Simon Street. Let me risk it first here with you. Um, is, <laughs> Damn, thank you. I'm just messing. <laughs> but he does wow. ask a question. I'm just messing with you, man. Uh, he asks a question. Man. Is extreme violence making a comeback in mainstream pro wrestling? Um, what is your take on it if you feel that this is seem to be coming back? Is this something that that you're okay with or you or you like it the way it was or has been for some time where you wasn't seeing that? Me personally, I don't have a problem with the bloodletting as long as it's done uh, sparingly or consistently and it's not too much because when it gets to be too much, it gets old. But as far as do I think it's coming back? Oh, yeah, I think it's, it's always going to come back. It's in our natures, in our nature, to want to see uh, violence. Uh, if you go back to even ancient times, and I've said this before, I mean, the Colosseum, um, there were times like pit fights that would happen throughout our history. This is something that we love seeing. We love seeing blood, torn ligaments. Uh, hell, used to be a long time ago, beheading and lions tigers and bears it's just how we are you know so at the end of the day it's going to come back i only like it if it's sparingly keyword sparingly like sin city steve said not every fucking match needs to have blood did you just say the gladiators were fighting bears they did fight bears the gladiators in roman times did fight bears look that shit up man real fucking talk All right, Let's go see, look it up. We just got a uh, <laughs> we just got a factoid on the show. Thank you for that, Simon Street. Uh, Sin City. I mean, you you did kind of go off a little bit on this on uh, wrestling talk, but let me just ask you just to just to uh, go go a little bit more into this. Um, he 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 asked the question: Is too much violence uh, a risk? Uh, do you see that? Uh, and and. Yeah, do you see that being the case? And, you know, if that is a problem, do you see maybe these companies maybe going, you know, maybe they, were, they just wanted to try this for a few weeks and now they're just going to maybe slowly go away from this? Or do you think they're going to double down and even give more of that, considering that it is a risk? So here's the thing to keep in mind is that Ultra violence has never left pro wrestling. There, there's always been the extremely bloody promotions um, dating back to the 80s and even beforehand. Um, but there were 
you know, there, there were promotions in the nineties, like, uh, like extreme championship wrestling and, and CZW and, and other companies that almost glorified ultra violence. Um, and in many ways, game changer wrestling has carried on that torch, um, to present day. Now, here's the thing that I think that we need to make this distinction on, um, the, the headline of this article is, is extreme violence making a comeback in mainstream pro wrestling? Yes. And for one simple reason, and that is that now you have Tony Khan in charge of AEW. Tony Khan has gone on record as saying that his favorite wrestling promotion of all time was ECW. Now, ECW did not just do ultra-violence in every match. That was part of the draw with ECW. There was, there was a bit of um, a variety with things. Yes, you had guys like the Sandman and Tommy Dreamer and, and those guys, but you also had the Luchadors, like Eddie Guerrero, like Chris Jericho. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's something that I think, as long as we're not to a point where there is rampant bloodshed every single week on TV, then we'll be fine. Um, as I had somewhat alluded to in wrestling talk, um, if you were to confine these things to your pay-per-view events or to your major quarterly um, supercards, uh, I believe is what they might be calling them, mm-hmm. um, then that's completely fine. Make these matches mean something. Um, don't just trot out you know, Nick Gage one week with a, you know, a pizza cutter and light tubes and all this craziness. When last week you had, you know, um, glass panes being used in a match as well. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where AEW is walking a fine line right now. Um, and that fine line is whether or not they're going to incorporate this as weekly programming on their show. Um, personally, I, I, I don't mind a little bit of the ultra violence as long as it's balanced out with other things. Um, and yes, I think that there is a risk to the livelihood of the competitors. Um, and, and that's something that we're, I don't want to say that we're not thinking about, but that's something that is overshadowed by what we want. Um, now, obviously, you're going to have those guys that are going to be okay with doing this stuff week in and week out. Um, but a large number of guys and girls that get into this business don't want to do death matches every single week. Um, so it's it really just comes down to knowing your roster and knowing the strengths of your roster and being able to play to those strengths. Got you. Uh, Chris from the chat said that excessive violence needs to make sense in a storyline if you're just having two people blade each other up with no prior build-up whatsoever it doesn't make any sense and isn't needed he also followed up on another comment you may um or when uh Sin city when you had mentioned some of the other guys in the acw he said eddie guerrero versus dean malenko two out of three falls in the 95 ECW is one of the greatest matches very few people ever know about. Without so, a doubt. So good stuff on there, Chris, there. Uh, let me ask you, Michaels, just, uh, just to read a little bit out of the out of that same article. He was saying that it, it feels just like yesterday when graphic violence was commonplace in pro wrestling. In the 90s, extreme championship wrestling found a devout and bloodthirsty audience. And shortly after, WWE Attitude Era was born. And no DQ matches or hardcore matches became the staple of every wrestling show on North American television. But after the turn of the century, extreme violence become less and less frequent. And ECW was bought by WWE and McMahon's company slowly but surely aimed its programming to be more family friendly. And he said that although extreme matches and graphic stipulations remained in New Japan Pro Wrestling, the several indie promotions, North American audiences have been watching a much cleaner, safer product for the better part of the last decade. Is there is there anything wrong with that? The fact that for the last decade that we have been watching a safer and cleaner product. Is there anything wrong with that? Or or should there or should we go back to the way it was in the 90s? 
See, this is the this is the problem with looking backwards is that you you pick and choose what you remember and that instance of the malenko guerrero match is a great example um obviously you guys have said this that um you know there was other things other than the violence but what is most standout ish is the violent matches especially stuff that involved barbed wire um you know, replacing ring ropes. Um, <clears throat> there was uh, something I saw recently uh, where uh, Foley and uh, and Funk had talked about uh, the night that the fans threw all the chairs on top of them. Okay. So there's highlights. <clears throat> there's moments that you get shown that makes it seem like, oh my God, that was so cool. The truth of the matter is, ECW, what did they do? They got on the national network. What happened? Their product got sanitized. Okay? So they were able to afford a bloodthirsty program and their bloodthirsty fans because it was all local and it was all pretty much on television after 12 Mm a.m. All right? So then you go... You get a national contract, and they were out of business within two years. So, um, again, that's the point of, you know, when you have products like that, you save that shit for the pay-per-view. You do stories that lead up to that big match in which someone definitively wins the final, you know, the final blow-off where it's a blood a bloodletting. Um you also forget that he says the Attitude Era was born out of this, essentially. Well, the Attitude Era was primarily foul language and sexual innuendo. You rarely, if ever, saw blood on WWE television. You saw it at the pay-per-views. So again, pick and choose the memories of how this fits in. Um, you know, some of the... Some of the more violent matches that have been done in the last 15, 20 years were done by TNA. They had some mm-hmm. pretty fucking violent matches. You had 60-year-old Ric Flair bleeding like a stuck pig. Um, you had the matches that Abyss did and stuff. So yeah. it, it totally gets washed over. Um, and WCW actually tried going to a violent, more violent route. And mm-hmm. it didn't work out from them because they weren't telling stories that made any sense to put the bloodletting in. And that's where AEW is heading with this. Is It's not that it can't be used, but it has to make sense. It has to be saved. You have to use it in the, the correct manner. Because if not, what you're going to get are instances, and this, this makes no sense to me. If you're Nick Gage and you're walking down a ramp and you already have a pizza cutter in your fucking hand, why? It it, it is nothing to you that, right? Mm -hmm. If you wait and throughout the match, you're fucking fighting and everything's going on, and then you get a moment and you pull that out, it makes more sense. It's dramatic. You know, this, that's the problem. The problem is, is that a lot of people don't even know how to do the correct formation of a match like that. Yeah. You know, make them anticipate shit. Um, it's, it's just, listen, light tubes, when they smash, they make a great sound. They look very, very violent. But when they're smashed again and again and again, it just becomes boring and on top of that, this one t- shot that they had after the glass pane broke, there was a shot of a woman in the front row, and you see her go back because that shit flew over the guardrail. Yeah. So now you got fans who are going to get hit by fucking shit from glass tubes, and like, and you know that's a lawsuit waiting to happen as well. So yeah, it, it, it's going to happen, but. Listen, you got to be smart about it. And you know what happens if they start doing this too often and other companies start following and you see companies like GCW, 
the danger of this has nothing to do with pro wrestling or the fans. It has everything to do with the fact that sports commissions will start back up. Yep. And then the organizations will be fucked. Oh, boy. All right. Good points there, man. Thank you for that. This will be a good time now for you to get your next unique code that you're going to need for your chance to win two tickets to SummerSlam August 21st at Allegiant Stadium here in Las Vegas, Nevada. That word you're going to need is the word summer. Summer. That is your word. All right? So make sure you uh, write that down. Or again, continue to keep listening to the podcast over and over until you uh, memorized it. And keep that on deck because you're going to need only two more of those unique codes, which won't be released until next week's Wrestling Talk in three count. All right? And uh, remember, if you're going to the show, great. But you may know someone who's not going to the show that will enjoy uh, having these tickets to go, you know, Try to win it for them. Try to have them win it for themselves. You know, all you got to do is uh, download the podcast and uh, listen to it and get those words, and you'll be a part of the drawing that will take place um, uh, two weeks from tonight, okay? So that's that. Let's jump over into our third count, which is from lastwordonsports.com. And it is titled WWE's Issue with Booking Champions. So uh, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to read. Uh, he's got pretty much three bullet points that he expounded on. Um, I'm going to give each one of you your own so you can just either agree or disagree and see why he's right. Or is he another one that just needed to, uh, you know, meet the qualifications of uh, of uh, words to, uh, to get that money. All right, I'll start with you, Sin City. He says, the problem of 50-50 booking, nobody gets over. He says, right now, the recently returned John Cena looks and feels more like of a star than anyone else in the company. The reason for this is simple. For years, he was never the victim of the dreaded term 50-50 booking. John was booked as a triumphant babyface from the first championship run in 2005 right up to the winding down of his full-time career in the mid-2010s. Roman Reigns, among the full-time active WWE superstars, book similarity. He has not been uh, pinned or submitted since 2019 and is the most over superstar in the company as a result. He mentions that Bobby Lashley, current WWE champion, is someone who was a victim of the 50-50 booking prior to winning the WWE championship from The Miz and, to an extent, has had a a rebuild during his championship run so that he can regain the legitimacy someone of his sheer star caliber deserves, whereas not every champion can be booked in this manner. Champions should not be losing pointless non-title matches every single week champions are not supposed to be the underdogs there are they are the champions with the challenger in the role of the underdog occasional champions can be utilized as underdogs Miz is someone who makes sense as a weasel like underdog champion but it should not be true of the majority of the champions especially babyface fighting champions like Nikki A.S.H. Sin City Steve, does he make a good point when he says the problem of 50-50 booking that nobody gets over, and it's also problem is also pro, pro, one of the problems of WWE's issues with booking champions. What's your take? Without a doubt. Okay. This is one of the biggest one of the biggest complaints that I have is that you spend a majority of your champions title reign with them looking weak and or devalued mm-hmm. because if if a champion has a non-title match it's essentially inferred that they're going to lose that match mm-hmm. that's that's just become how it is on WWE programming if if a champion no matter who it is other than Reigns has a match that they stipulate and they tell you it's a non-title match guess what they're already telling you hey they're going to lose mm-hmm. It should not be like that. Yeah. It really should not be like that. And I get, I can, I can somewhat understand the motive that it keeps your challenger strong. But at the end of the day, you don't sacrifice your champion to fix your challengers. Mm. There you go. I like that. It's like a quote we can use from Sin City. All right. Let's move over to you, Simon Street. 
this uh, bullet point, he says, diminishes the value of championships. And what he says about that is on the WWE main roster, the only two championships that feel special are the WWE and Universal Championships. And this is a matter of presentation, as without the 50-50 booking and constant pinning of champions in a non-title match, any title could mean something. If you go back 20, 30 years, one of the most special beloved championships in WWE was the Intercontinental Championship. Main event talents such as Macho Man, Randy Savage, Rick Rude, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, and more carried the championship in the early stages of their WWE runs. It was seen as the championship of future main event talents, and they eventually reached the main event of the card because they were booked as strong winning champions. But for whatever reason, the WWE did away with this mentally long ago, and for decades, the secondary Intercontinental and U.S. Championships has been involved in meaningless feuds where the champions are quite simply booked to lose non-title matches. The Raw and SmackDown Women's Championships especially should be booked like main event championships to see the Raw Women's Championship, the prize of the Raw Women's Division, booked so poorly is very frustrating. And Bianca Belair, however, is being booked as a strong champion, and this should serve as a blueprint for other champions. So let me ask you this, Sin City. He says that it diminishes the value of championships. Um, that is part of the whole issue with WWE issues with booking champions. Do you agree with his um, his point on this? Do you want me to answer or Sin City Steve? I'm sorry, uh, Simon Street. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Nah, it's all good, man. Um, nah, it's all good. Uh, so, so pretty much, um, WWE has had a problem with this since that. Obviously, we know. If you watch W, I mean, if you watch WWE, you already know. Uh, IC title gets shuffled away many times. Obviously, the U.S. Championship gets shuffled away many times. It's a problem that they need to stop. You need to be able to make whoever has that championship is the lead of the crop as far as with that division, uh, to a certain extent. I mean, obviously, it's kind of hard to say who's in the division for the IC title or the United States Championship. But if you have someone that's the dominant, it builds up. It does add 100% value. So this comment is very valid. One company right now, or when I will say one company, one show that's done an excellent job of adding true value to every one of their championships, for the most part, is NXT. They have done an excellent job of showcasing every one of those titles to where they are important. They have taken on the task of revitalizing a championship that WWE has fucked over in the uh, uh, the Cruiserweight Championship. Um, done an, an excellent job. So at the end of the day, if you want to know a great example of how to spread the wealth and attention championships and make them important, not just your main titles, look at NXT. All right, perfect. And then the last one here, uh, Matt Michaels, and again, it's titled WWE Issues with Booking Champions. Uh, the last thing he mentions is that rivals should be kept apart until pay-per-views. And what he says about that is when you're trying to sell something, you can give your audience a taste of it, a small bite-sized freebie, which leaves the buyer wanting more. What you don't, however, is give them the whole thing for free and then one week later, give it to them again and expect them to come back for more at the market on Sunday. In the WWE, there's this apparent need within creative to do the same match over and over in the forms of non-title matches. If they're booking a lengthy feud, the formula is challenger pins the champion to earn a championship match. Champion beats them at the pay-per-view. Challenger beats them in a non-championship match again. And then comes another pay-per-view match, which goes either way. This simply should not be the formula. Effective booking would be for the challenger to earn their championship match by beating uh, similarly uh, positioned contenders, not by beating the champion once or twice and then earning the shot against the champion here. He or she is already beaten previously. Keeping the champion challenger apart makes their eventual pay-per-view match a must-see, potentially never ever seen bout, which can be repeated at the following pay-per-view. In boxing, challengers do not earn the right to face the champion by beating the champion. Perhaps, more than anything, this is something the WWE desperately needs to move away from. Moving closer closer to a more boxing-like sports-based formula of prize fighter booking. Matt Michaels, would you agree with that? Writers should just be kept apart until pay-per-views. Let's, uh, let's just, first of all, say that AEW said that they were going to do that. Okay. <laughs> so, 
it's obviously that got tossed out the window for the most part. Um, you, you can't treat a fucking entertainment product as a fucking legitimate sport. Let's get over this bullshit. Number two, you don't pay for pay-per-views anymore. And that's the biggest change that people still don't fucking get. With WWE, you're not paying for the pay-per-view. You're paying for the network. All right? Five bucks or ten bucks a month. That's it, man. Yeah. That's what you're paying for. So, you know, if you're trying to sell the paper, if you see, that's why it makes more sense for a company like AEW or Impact or Ring of Honor to use their free television to build up the eventual blow off, right? WWE doesn't have to do that. Um, also, <laughs> If you're talking about how people are being misused in the WWE now, then start having some of those people like Ricochet and Mansoor and, and Ali and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, continuously lose being considered jobbers then just to build up your guys that you're going to have wrestling the big matches. People will just be fucking insane over that. They'll just be pissed. Because now you're just eliminating story on those guys. They are literally going to be jobbers. Yeah. So there's not really anything necessarily wrong with what they're doing in the sense that it's a different buildup nowadays. You know, you don't have the, um, you have, you have a, a weekly program and for, you know, years and years and years, the idea was, that it, it only happened on special events and going back and thinking of Saturday night's main event, right? That was their, um, their pre buildups to WrestleMania or to SummerSlam, right? The big four. And the thing was, is that otherwise you saw superstars, maybe wrestling challenge would have some, you know, marquee matchups, but Saturday night's main event was, going to be your setup if you go back and you look going in between wrestlemania 2 and wrestlemania 3 randy savage and georgie animal steel met up on almost every single one of those saturday night main events mm -hmm. going into wrestlemania 3 junkyard dog versus harley race match on saturday night's main event Savage versus uh, uh, Georgie Animal Steel. Um, not actual WrestleMania match on WrestleMania 3, but Steel was in the corner. Steamboat was the opponent. Steamboat came out on Saturday night's main event, so everything was, was set up. Um, and then you get the battle royal in which Andre gets his hands on Hogan, gives him a headbutt, puts him out, and that was the first time they got their hands on each other. And, by the way, a short buildup that started in February and in March was WrestleMania. So it's insane to think that there was always long stories being booked. It's insane to think that what they book now is just, just not right because of the fact that it's it's a totally different game. The biggest thing that I think is so alarming about this is that it was written by someone who has what? Never booked wrestling. So, you know, it's great that everyone's a fucking expert, but most people have never done it. So good for you guy. Well, Matt Michaels uh, disagreed with that segment, but uh, Simon Street and Sin City uh, agreed with their bullet point. So maybe, you know, two out of one is not bad. <laughs> two out of one. Two out of one? Uh, three. Three out of one. Two out of three. <laughs> Damn, who handled the finances? Did we talk about... About, we talked about this in Wrestling Talk yesterday. My, my math is horrible. That's why... Uh, when you start talking about money, I have to call Wifey over. Is this right? Is he paying me right? Is this correct? <laughs> All right, thanks. The cool part I... would have been if she actually answered. That would have been amazing. <laughs> you know, and that's really fucked up, being that you're married to an Asian woman. <laughs> feeding into the stereotypes there. Way to go, bro. Know about the monies. 
as what a Carl, Carl Anderson would say, uh, a very hot Asian woman. So get it, get it correct. <laughs> he said it's hot Asian wife. All right, hot Asian. Is that is that a a hot Carl? <laughs> Jesus. Oh my God. Wow. All right. Google it, kids. Google it. All or right. don't. Yeah. Or don't. Um. So we're gonna pretty much end. There was a couple of comments here. I throw them on. Um. Sean did say that we had lost that formula when TV shows become so long and the fight for advertising dollars took over. And then he put, look, pay-per-views doesn't even exist anymore. Um, Chris also, uh, he he brought in, uh, how about a 90s episode of SNME where Hogan, now of course that's Saturday Night Main Event, where Hogan and Warrior teamed up after their exciting clash at the Rumble against Mr. Perfect and the Genius, and they came to blows after the match because of miscommunication quote <laughs> miscommunicate so yeah man good points on all of that um thank you guys for that three count uh final thoughts as we go into our week since city kick us off what you want the good people to know definitely thank you guys for hanging out with us uh thank you for liking sharing subscribing all the great shit that you guys do we truly appreciate it um also special shout out to every brave man and woman serving this country on lands both foreign and domestic you enable us to be able to do this show so thank you for what you do and uh, also last but not least repsports.com r-e-p-p sports.com go there for all of your pre-workout general energy needs and your weight loss needs as well repsports.com promo code vegas at checkout save yourself 15 percent. thank you much simon street what you want to tell the good people and thank everybody for everything that you do. We do this for you. And with that, walk in peace for the rest of your week. Nice. Matt Michaels, what you want to tell the good people? Have a good night, everybody. All right. Thank you guys so much. Don't forget to uh, keep up with your codes. We're in this awesome promotion. Tell people about it. Tell them right now. The show's ending. So right now, as I'm ending it, tell them right now to go download the episodes and win them two tickets to SummerSlam. It's going to be awesome, all right? Peace. Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting.